0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew near you. Uh, A little fair warning here, we are going to start in James chapter 1, but it's going to take me a little bit of time to get there because i got to kind of set what responding to God is in the intro here. So responding to God, as you just saw in the video, is faith. A proper response to God is faith. So what is faith? Faith, as we will read about in the next few weeks, works. Faith works. There's, there's something that happens in a response to God. And so when we talk about responding to God, a response Uh, needs a reason. There has to be a reason to respond. It's not just a simple action. It's a a response about who God is, His goodness, and His grace, and we respond to that in faith. So as we get into this new series, Responding to God, it's going to challenge us because sometimes we respond to God, but we respond to Him wrongly. You know, there's many who will respond to God's goodness and grace by ignoring it. They just simply will ignore God's goodness and His grace. Some will reject God's goodness and His grace. And probably most uh, applicable to us is many just abuse God's goodness and grace. What I mean by that is we, we take it for granted. We take for granted the fact that God is good. We take for granted the grace that He bestows upon us. And many people will continue in the sin that's in their life just because, well, God will forgive me. God's a God of grace. God's a God of mercy. Our response to God is our worship. It's our worship. It's our faith. Faith and worship, or this worth-ship, the affirming that God is of total worth, is a right reaction to who God is, his goodness and his grace, more than it's an appropriate action of routine. Now, I throw that out there because a lot of us, we came in, I don't know what's up with this section here, but no one wants to sit in the front section here. It's really odd. Like, it's like we had it reserved for somebody. Uh, we didn't. Front rows, open for anyone, okay? No one wants to sit up front. Uh, so we, we talk about this response. It's imperative to a reason. There's a, there's a reason there. Our response is a reaction and to God's goodness and grace, and it demands a reaction to us. So there's faith and worship, this worth-ship. It's an affirming that God is of total worth, a right reaction to who God is, his goodness, and his grace, more than it's an appropriate action of routine. Now, many of us, we think, well, I should go to, I should go to worship today. And we, we use these terminologies, I should go to worship, I should make time for worship, uh, we, we went to worship. You know, there's all these things that we say, and we make it an action. Just a simple, well, it's a proper reaction of what we should do. But in reality, it's not just an action, it's a response. And so the reason we worship is because of Christ, not because we ought to, not because it's something that we should be doing. I like how Louis puts it, Louis Gigolo, Uh, a, a preacher in Atlanta he says this worship is our response both personally and corporately to God for who he is and for what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live so let's just let's just look at that definition for just a second worship is our response both personally and corporately so you had the opportunity this morning to worship both personally and corporately Yes, it is this moment where you are singing songs of praise to God and you're just thinking about His goodness and His grace and it's just this very intimate moment with you, but you're also joined in a room full of people who are also singing about God's goodness and His grace and so you're doing it corporately together, encouraging one another in your faith. There's a response that takes place. And it's done and it's expressed by what you say, but it's also expressed by the way you live. So as you come in here, it's just... It's just what you've been doing all week long. It's not just something you've come in here to do, but it's something that is a continuation of your response to God that's been going on all week long. I like what John MacArthur says. He says, worship is all that we are, reacting rightly to all that he is. He goes on to say, worship, by the way, is not music. Worship is loving God. Worship is honoring God. Worship is knowing God for who he is, adoring him, obeying him, proclaiming him as a way of life music is one way we express that adoration it's just one way so this morning as you worship god you're responding to all that he is with all that you are can i ask you how's your response is it wholehearted is it in tune as chip said have you tuned yourself to sing his praise today have you come in here as a response to who God is, or you, have you come in here as an action of what you're supposed to do? There's a different approach to worship. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one through 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's a great one to memorize. Whatever you're doing, the most menial things of the day, whatever you're doing, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. That's not a denomination, that's just everyone um, just because we're bad, it doesn't maybe we make fun of the Church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You know, you know what Paul says about worship, about our responding to God. It's, it's in the eating and drinking. It's in, it's in gathering with other people. It's in relationship. It's in not offending the Jews or the Greek. It's in not offending the, the people you go to church with. It is in how you react daily and the way you treat other people. So as we think about this, it's not about our advantage or what we like or what we want. It's that our lives will be lived in a way that would bring others to glorify God and be saved. Worship, our response to God, should be contagious. There should be this contagious response to who God is, for His goodness and for His grace. So how we treat others should be a matter of worship. Our missional efforts are a matter of worship. As I was reading this week in Isaiah, I ran across this passage in Isaiah 58, 34, and then 6 and 7. I want you to read this with me. This is kind of a rhetorical question. God's responding back through the prophet Isaiah. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? So that's what the people will say. We went through the action. But yet, God, there's 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 no reciprocation from you. What's going on? And he says, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. This is what God says, look, look, I see your actions of worship. I see them. But it hasn't changed your heart. He goes on in verse 6, he says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and to bring the homeless and poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. You know what God says to the Israelites here in Isaiah? He says, you know what I want as a response? I want you to worship in how you treat others. I don't don't want you to just go through the motions. I really want you to respond to goodness and grace from a whole heart, responding rightly, as MacArthur says, to all he is. Just responding to God because He is worthy. He is worthy of praise. So we, how we treat others should be a matter of worship. Our evangelistic efforts should be a matter of worship. The point is you can't live a self-centered worldly life all week long and then come into church on Sunday and flip a swip, switch of worship and then turn it off again when you leave. Your life is a life lived in response to God, His goodness and His grace Every action of your week is a reaction of worship. Wow. I mean, just think about that for a second. Every action of your week, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, is a response to God's goodness and His grace. How have you responded this week? What has been your proper response? As Paul would say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what Paul says is like, if you want to respond rightly, then put yourself on the altar. If you really know what worship is, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you're doing, present your bodies, respond to God in sacrifice, where you say, it's not about me, it's all about him. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Change the way you think. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So here's here's what I want to prove to you this morning as we talk about a response to God. This This is it right here. If our faith and worship is a response to who God is, and what he has done for us in Christ, then our faith and worship is not dependent upon our external circumstances, our emotional capacity, or the environmental comfort we are in. Okay? That's the thesis statement of the morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's, if our faith and worship is a response to God for what he has done for us in Christ, then our faith and worship is not dependent upon our external circumstances, our emotional capacity, or the environment. Environmental comfort we, we are in. It's about Christ, not about us. So what is your response to God? How have you responded to God? See, there's a lot of times we make excuses about comfort. Am I right? We say, well, it just didn't feel right, and the external circumstances just weren't, weren't ideal for worship today. I didn't really care for the music. It was too fast, it was too slow, it was too old, it was too new, it was too repetitive, it was not repetitive enough, it was this, it was that, the carpet was green, there were pews, they weren't cushioned good enough, there was, uh, there was blinds that were open, there were some that were closed, it was really distracting, there was all kinds of things going on that I didn't really know how to take. And, you know, I just I had a rough Saturday. My emotional capacity just wasn't really there. I stayed up late. I was with the kids all weekend, and they're crazy, and they needed 45 Band-Aids. I mean, there was a lot of things that went on this weekend. I just emotionally, I'm not ready for worship today or the environmental comfort. Did you see what that person was wearing? I just, That made me uncomfortable. I just couldn't worship. There's an interesting story in Acts. I told you, we're going to get to James, I promise, okay? We're going to get to James. But first, we got to detour to Acts. Acts 16, 16 through 25. As we were going to the place of prayer, they're on, their way to, they're on their way to a prayer meeting. This is awesome. We were met by this slave girl, that's unfortunate, who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, I like this. I think this is just good terminology here. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) uh, he'd had enough, basically, is what that means. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. There's some backstory Now let's keep reading. But when the owners saw that there was, their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Man, they were on their way to our prayer meeting, right? That's an unfortunate turn of events. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs. that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What? Does that just seem odd to you? Their environment, their emotional state, their comfort, all out the window. How do they respond to God? In worship. You know, you think about this, you're like, man, they were seized. They were dragged away. There's a movie called Taken. Uh, don't recommend you watching it unless you, your daughter wants to go on a trip by herself. Um, and then you can scare her to death with it. That's what you can do. Uh, And there's this movie called Taken where these girls are taken. They're abducted. And there's a father who has a particular set of skills, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Y'all seen it. Okay. So uh, that's good. That scene where they're taken, it's pretty rough. I mean, they're, they're taken and they're dragged out of that apartment. That's hard to watch. I imagine Paul and Silas, when they were taken, They were dragged. That's what it says. They were dragged. They were thrown in front of all this crowd of people. And the crowd attacked them. They had their garments torn. Their clothes were torn off of them. That sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? They were then beat with rods with many blows. The Romans didn't have such laws as how many blows you could give someone. Then they were thrown into prison, the innermost part, the most dungeon-like part of the prison there's no fresh air it's kind of damp it's not comfortable there's no padded pews nothing they're thrown in there and then they get shackled their legs are shackled to a large wooden beam <laughs> and then about midnight you know paul and silas they're tired but they were singing and praising god praying they were responding to god Not because of their situation. They were responding to God because of His goodness and His grace. They were responding to what they had received through Jesus Christ. Kind of gives you a perspective, doesn't it? Of what our response to God should be. See, their response to God for who He is and His goodness and His grace was not dependent upon external circumstances, emotional capacity, or the environmental comfort that they were in i got a question, what external, emotional, or environmental limitations do you put on your willingness to respond to God, His goodness, and His grace? Francis Chan says it this way, We focus more on good speakers, light shows, and nice worship music than sincere ministry to the heart of God. Meanwhile, other Christians are dying every day because it is a crime to profess faith in Christ. Worship is not found in consumerism, but in a commitment to Christ, a confession of his glory, and a communion with his presence. You have an opportunity to respond this morning, both personally and corporately, to who God is, for what he has done, his goodness and his grace. Before we read James, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are we have the opportunity to come into a room with other believers to sing songs of praise this morning, to sing of your goodness, to declare your excellencies, to declare your grace and your mercy, to encourage one another to be committed to you, to confess with our mouths that you are worthy and you are holy, and to do it in communion with your very spirit. Father, make us a church that responds to you with faith, with worship. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask God that you speak to us through it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, James, now we're going to begin the sermon. Just kidding. Okay. James, I'm starting verse two. James is the half brother of Jesus, right? James, he didn't really believe Jesus was the Messiah until Jesus did this really cool thing called Raised from the Grave, right? So, oh, He's alive again? I think I'll believe. So he writes this, and this is one of the earliest letters written to the church. And the reason it's one of the earliest letters written is because they're facing such severe persecution. These Jewish believers, are, they're, they're facing this persecution, much like what we just read about in Acts. And so they're facing this persecution, and this is how he begins this letter. You want to you respond to God in faith, faith and works, right? This is what we're going to get to. This is how he begins. Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also... Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is God's word. The first thing... James tells us about responding to God is we need to respond with joy. Respond with joy of mind. He says there, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. What kind of trials are there? There's various trials. There's various ones. You never know what it's going to be. It could be a physical trial that you're going through. It could be a financial trial that you're going through. It could be a relational trial, a marriage trial. You could be going through all kinds of trials. It could be a work trial. There's various kinds of trials. And he says, you know what? When you're thinking about responding to God and you're thinking about worshiping God, with whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you're doing, and you're starting to face a trial, maybe you're on your way to a prayer meeting and you get seized and dragged into a a crowd and they beat you and then they throw you in the jail, consider it all joy. Isn't that different? That's a a different way of thinking about things. But see, the half-brother James would say, yeah, consider it joy because it's at that moment you know you're following the path of Christ. At that moment, you know that you are following in his footsteps. John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Expect to face various trials. You see, sometimes we face trials on the outside and sometimes we face temptations on the inside, and how we respond to them has everything to do with our faith and our focus on God. So count it all joy. It's an imperative command, it's an imperative response of thought and not feeling. James does not say, Hey, when you're going through a trial, enjoy it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Just suck it up. Just like it. Just keep going. He doesn't say that either. He says, renew your mind. Change the way that you think. Think about it in regards to God's goodness, and God's grace, and God's mercy, and who He is. Think of it in regards to who Jesus Christ is and the life that He lived for us. He's saying, change the way you think. So I want you to change the way you think. When you're going through a trial, remind yourself of these three truths. Are you ready? Number one, Trials are a part of living in a world full of sin and the effects of sin, and they are not a direct punishment from God. That's a strong statement. Now, do I think that some trials that you go through are based on circumstances of sin? Yes. Do I think that God chooses to use those circumstances to reprove you, to discipline you as a child? Yes. Do I think God is out to get you? No. That's the difference. The reason I know this is because God doesn't punish his children. He doesn't do that because he's already punished his son for their very sins. Why would Jesus have to die for your sins and take your sins if God's still going to punish you for your sins? You see, he took the full penalty of our sin on the cross, but that doesn't mean we don't face the consequences of our sins. So consider it joy when you go through various trials because you know Christ has taken the full hit of the sin that is in your life. Second thing I want to remind you of is this. Trials are part of living in a world full of sin and the effects of sin, and they are not the act of God turning His back on you because of sin. Ooh. God does not forsake His children when they are sick. Does a good parent forsake their child when they're sick? What does a good parent do? Consoles holds, loves, nourishes their child. God, a good father, he does not turn his back on his children when they are sinful. He does not turn his back on them when they are suffering. The reason is, is because he's already turned his back on sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took all of our sins and God turned his back on that sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're not being punished. You're not being directly punished. And God's not turned his back on you. And here's the third one. Trials are part of living in a world full of sin and the effects of sin. And when they come, they will test your faith. It says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, will produce steadfastness. Our faith and worship, our response to God, His goodness and His grace should be in spite of our circumstances. I don't know what you're going through right now. I've heard that either you're about to go into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial when it comes to life. I don't know where you are right now, but in spite of your circumstances, consider it all joy. Because there is a God of goodness and there is a God of grace who is worthy of praise, who is worthy of a response that is not dependent upon your situation or your circumstance. The second thing he says is this. Respond to God with stability of mind. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. That is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You know, um, there's been a couple of times in my life that I've got to go on vacation and I've chosen to go on a cruise. Now, that's the best way to travel, let me tell you. Unless you go on a knockoff cruise that's really small. Uh, My first cruise was a knockoff cruise, it wasn't the Carnival, it was the Canaveral cruise. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be good. I mean, the pool was like a hot tub, and uh, the, the boat was really small, and sure enough, we hit some rough weather, and I think five people made it to the Midnight Buffet, uh, and some people made it back from the Midnight Buffet, but didn't make it to their room before they released the food from the Midnight, you know what I'm talking about, right? They were sick. The, it was so, the boat was so rocking that the, the pictures on the wall were, like, moving, okay? Man... I will, I will go on a cruise now and be just doped up so I don't have to have that sick feeling that I've had before. Like, Jeff, you slept the whole cruise. It was awesome, okay? <laughs> that Dramamine was perfect, right? I just slept right through that vacation. It was wonderful, so relaxing. So this is what he says. He's like, look, there's two paths that you can take in life. And, and James is kind of like the Proverbs that we just finished of the New Testament. He's like, look, you can choose wisdom or folly. Let me put it this way. You can choose God's help or self-help. Man, think of it that way. God's help. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What James says here is like, look, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through a temptation, if you're going through something, and you need God's wisdom, all you have to do is ask. And then listen. He said, listen, because you don't want to be someone who tries to self-help. You don't want to be this person, but let him ask with faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Self-help. You see, there's there's three things that we use to gain our understanding, our wisdom, is knowledge, perspective, and experience. We take our knowledge of a situation. We take our perspective. This is how I see it. And we take our experience. You know what's happened to me before? I'm going to make this decision now. When we decide to do some self-help and try to navigate the waters of life, we end up getting tossed to and fro because we're, we're functioning off of limited knowledge. We're functioning off of limited perspective. We can only see it from our standpoint. And we're functioning off of limited experience. He says, look, if you want God's help, if you want God's help, then you're going to function with unlimited knowledge, unlimited perspective. He sees all. He knows all. and unlimited experience through the earthly life of Jesus Christ. Listen to these verses. Hebrews 2.18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Don't choose self-help. Choose God's help. He's able to help when you're being tempted. Hebrews four fifteen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet did not sin. So you have the choice: His way or your way. Verse twelve blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive a crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is being tempted, that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Who is responsible for temptation? It's not God. Who's responsible for sin? It's not God. Every trial brings a temptation. Every trial brings a temptation. When we face trials, we're tempted to turn away from God or to try to fix a desire on our own. When we face something, we we don't know how to deal with it. We try to self-help that situation. We try to mix God's wisdom and our wisdom. We decide, you know what, I think I know best and I think I can fix the situation this way. And we're tempted to disregard God's truth and try to satisfy our own desires. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I don't know where you are this morning. Your response to God may be through a trial. It might be through a temptation. Some of you might have some inner temptations that you've been trying to deal with, and God says, look, I can help you. All you have to do is call out to me for wisdom. Call out to me for help. Here's the third one, wrapping up. Respond to God with fruit of life. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, cre- of his creatures. Respond with being a first fruit. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Get this, He gives us His Spirit. What a great gift. Every good gift. He decided, you know what, I'm not going to leave them on their own to go through the trials and temptations. I'm going to give them my very own presence to lead and to guide them. He is the perfect gift. He gives us Himself. He is a helper. He is a counselor. He is a comforter. He is the very presence of God that cries out for God's help. He is the law written on our hearts. What a great gift. Our response to God is for His goodness and His grace, and it's through His Spirit. A response to God is a commitment to God. It's a confession of God, and it is is a a communion with His Spirit. Romans says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoptions of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Get this, we have a spirit of God crying out in response to God for his goodness and grace. When you don't feel like worshiping, when you don't feel like responding, there's a spirit of God that wants to respond in and through you for who God is, for his goodness and his grace. In John chapter 4, there's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels. It's the story of a woman at a well. You remember this story? I'm just going to read it real quick to you, and we're going to close with this thought. There was a woman in Samaria that came to draw some water. Jesus said to her, Hey, give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself, and so did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up for eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty or come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right. You're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, whom they they call Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with this woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. What a remarkable story. This woman responds she responds to God she's an outcast a sinner a lady of reputation she has lived a life of trials and temptations but she has responded in spirit and truth this lady responds as a first fruit her faith her worship had nothing to do with her had everything to do with him it didn't matter that she was living in sin it didn't matter that she had gone through trials and succumbed to temptation. What mattered is that she responded. She responded in spirit and in truth. So Jesus tells us God is looking for true worshipers. He's looking for true responders. The fact that God seeks true worshipers implies that there's a, there are false worshipers out there. Ones that are just doing it out of motion, not out of response. It also tells us that the fact that God is seeking true worshipers means that This is the utmost importance. It is a priority. So I'm going to end with this question. Is responding to God in spirit and in truth a priority for you? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.